So 28 years ago, at the age of 22, um, I'm in the French Alps in a ski resort called Avoriaz, and I'm on a chairlift going up the mountain, my happy place. I'm beside two of my mates, their names are Martin and Ian. Uh, Martin was my best man, and Ian was my groomsman at my wedding, our wedding. And um, we're there, and we're having this conversation as we're kind of going up. And uh, one of the guys, I can't remember which one it was, just began to really open up. He started just sharing really deep and personal things. I was like, I couldn't believe it. And, and, and as one of them shared, uh, the other one shared, I stayed quiet, and... Um, and he began to kind of say, yeah, I, I, I'm finding that difficult too. And, uh, and then it gave me permission to do the same. And by the top of the chairlift, the mountain, I thought to myself, these are guys that I can journey my life with. And they're still friends today. I can build my life with these kind of guys because they're open and honest and vulnerable as well as fun and good at banter and all that stuff as well. And um, so we pick up the conversation, what we began last week, on the whole area of friendship. And uh, if you weren't here uh, last week, you can listen to a second attempt recording of it, because apparently it didn't record last week. Uh, so uh, the comfort of my own bedroom, I had an attempt at recording it again. So we do check that out. Um, I just felt like just for a two-week series. So next week will be something completely different. I just thought it was important that we would just hit pause and look at the importance of friendship in our lives. And after last week, uh, several of you actually came to me and said various things. And uh, as I was walking the dog, uh, pondering what we'd been talking about and what I wanted to share with you this morning, I kind of came to the conclusion of this. That as we, as individuals, individually responsible for our own lives, ponder and, and take the importance of cultivating, establishing deep, honest, and godly friendships. When we do that, it could be the difference between life and death. Literally. It could be the difference between staying faithful or having an affair. It could be the difference between freedom or addiction. It could be the difference between fullness of life or completely losing ourselves. You see the point I'm sort of making? It's like so important, so important that we have these people in our lives. And, and uh, so that's what we want to pick up on this week. As we, uh, just a little bit of a conclusion of last week, we, uh, we talked about David and Jonathan. And we sort of said how they cultivated this deep friendship with one another. It was ordained, meaning it had come from God. God had set it up. And as we had reflected ourselves on some of our friendships, we realized, didn't we, that God had somehow orchestrated these people to kind of come into our lives. And we're so grateful that God does that. But we do need to be intentional. And that's really, really important. The most important thing I wanted to say, and I say again this week, is we need to pay attention individually, each of us, to uh, cultivating and building and prioritizing the importance of meaningful, deep, honest vulnerable and sacrificial friendship and also for those of us who are believers that we would find other believers that would be our friends uh, that would uh, that would encourage us and, uh, and um, just encourage us towards relationship with God and so uh, our homework last week was 
to make contact with our friends, to send them a text or send them a message, say, hey, just wanted a uh, big shout out, you mean so much to me, whatever it might be. The girls, you can do that so much better with nice, flowery, lovely language. Us guys still sort of struggle with that. Although I have noticed, have we, my generation, I think we're getting better at it. I think the younger fellas just model it way better. I think even physical hugs and all that and heart emojis and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm seeing a few kind of things here and, you know, uh, love maybe written in a text. I don't know, but I, I am noticing a, a, a sea change in there. But have we done that? Have we taken some time this week to ponder the depth and the numbers of friends that we have in our lives and, and, and perhaps like many of us left feeling just the slight sense of lack of that in our lives and, and going before the Lord and saying, God, I need a friend like Jonathan. I need a Jonathan in my life. I need someone. And being open and praying, God, you've ordained it. Who, who's that to be? So anyway, that's just a little bit of a recap. We're into second week. Instead of uh, Jonathan David, let's look at Moses. Uh, scriptures hopefully will come up on the, on the back screen here. This is a really well-known story. Uh, our children learn this, uh, and there's good reason why. It's just an incredible story. Let's read it together. The Amalekites, they came and they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Uh, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady uh, till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Just love uh, this incredible story uh, that happened, this incredible story that we read about, about um, an aging man, Moses, um, as he sends his uh, his assistant Joshua into battle he's the one on the ground fighting with the sword but it's Moses hands that are held up and as he holds his hands up the Israelites are winning and um, let's uh, just take a moment just to consider Moses his life what do we know about him well first of all he's of Hebrew descent he is uh, found in the uh, the papyrus basket going down the river Nile he's rescued as a baby he's taken into the household of Pharaoh and he's raised and as an Egyptian he's raised actually outside of his own people outside into a completely different culture He's actually not born into slavery, as were his people at the time, but he's actually born into a place of great favor, uh, being in the palace. As time goes on, he matures, he becomes an adult. He uh, murders an, an Egyptian, and he's found out about that, and for fear, he runs for his life, and he runs away, and he runs to this land called Midian, out into the desert. And there, knowing no one, he begins to establish and build a completely different life for himself. And it's in that place that he meets his uh, wife and he has, starts a family. 
And as time goes on, God speaks to him through a burning bush. And he says, go back, go back. I'm calling you. I'm sending you back to that place which you came from to liberate, to rescue, and to redeem, to set free my people Israel. And so reluctantly, with the staff in hand, uh, that uh, God reminds him, he says, what is that that's in your hand? He says, it's a staff. And God says to him, with that staff, I will do my wonders. And so, uh, so Moses returns. He goes back to the place of Egypt. And, uh, and he um, uh, is reconciled with his own family members. And over time, using the staff that God's given him, begins to liberate and set free. Why have I taken time to reflect on that? It's simply to say that during the course of his lifetime, he went from place to place and people to people. And we in our lifetimes do that, especially those of us who have moved, you know, uh, unless you're, you're born and bred in a certain place and you, you, you spend your entire life in one place, many of us don't do that. And we do go from place to place and time and time. And over that time, we build uh, friendships and sometimes we lose friendships and I took some time to research just a little bit, a few facts about friendship, and this is taken from research, uh, so just, just three brief things that um, most people have between three to five close friends. Um, we make just 29 real friendships in our lifetime, and only six of them apparently last the distance. And then on average, a, a, a good strong friendship lasts for up to 17 years. As we look back then uh, at the context of this passage that we find ourselves, Moses has returned with the staff and he is liberated and he's, uh, he's brought his people out of slavery and for 40 years they wander about the desert waiting, longing to enter into the promised land. And we find, uh, we come to this, con- this part in the, in the story at the, en- at the end of Moses' life as he's an old man, uh, we find this passage here. They go into battle and he sends in Joshua. And I want to look at a picture, hopefully. This painting, I'm hoping, uh, was, uh, was painted in 1871. What do we learn? What do we gain from this image and from this story? And how can we apply things to our life? Firstly, Moses is not alone. He's not on his own. He hasn't gone into battle on his own. The devil, the enemy, loves isolation. We look at prison. We look at um, punishment. One of the worst things that could ever happen to us is to be refined to solitary confinement, being on our own. And it's just the enemy's greatest tactic to make us, put us in a situation where we're lonely. And it is an incredibly uh, prevalent thing in our culture and society is the whole area of loneliness. As Moses goes into battle, he doesn't go alone. He has on one side of him his brother Aaron and on the other side another leader called Hur. And remind, uh, just a, a reminder of last week that... Um, as we grow weary, as we go, uh, as life is difficult for us, it is important that we have others in our lives. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. 
but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Moses has uh, has cultivated friendship. He has others in his life so that when he goes into battle, we're not on our own, that we have others side by side, alongside us. And so what does that look like for us? What does a side-to-side friendship uh, look like? Some of us last night were at the pub watching the rugby final last night. It was great fun. And that one of the most incredible pictures that I see of a, a side-to-side friendship is the scrum. Um, most of you, uh, if you've no interest in rugby, I'm sh- you're probably going to have some idea of the eight-man scrum. Eight uh, all-women scrum interlocked. Three, then two, then two, then one at the back. Then this incredible, um, powerful thing. I can't imagine going up against some of those uh, some of those men, the force that's generated between both teams as they lock heads and they go against each other. But it's this picture of, of, of this shared um, thing of, of, of moving in the same direction side by side. So a side-to-side friendship could be a best friend or a good friend. could be someone that you have things in common with. It could be a peer, a work colleague, a teammate, a running, walking partner, someone that you, you just enjoy spending time, you're moving in the same direction, encouraging each other on when, when the other is maybe uh, failing or is, uh, is weary or is tired. It's that person that picks us up and, 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 and keeps us going. I want to just give examples of three types of, or three friends in my life. One is, I mentioned him, we saw a picture of him last week, uh, my running pal. He's, he's a, a friend for the last five years, so in some ways a relatively new friend, um, someone that I um, spend lots of time with because we have a common interest, which is running. But it actually goes way deeper than that. We, uh, over miles, we, we share our lives, we talk about the day, we, we've shared lots of stuff about our families, about our work, about our aspirations, and very often it's just a really good, if, we've, if either of us had, have had a difficult day, we, we kind of offload and we kind of share what's going on, and that, uh, for me, has been a really healthy, life-giving friendship. Um, I have another uh, work colleagues from teaching, from my teaching work, um, who, again, I've shared some really deep things in my past, and they likewise with me. And uh, we would go out probably about once a term. And uh, they're the kind of friends we go out, we just have a good laugh. Like it's guaranteed, like we go for food, go for some drinks, go for, we'll just wait, and we, it's guaranteed laughter. And that for me has been such a life-giving, enriching um, experience and time and friendship. And then... There's another fellow, I'll name this one. Um, some of you will know him. Uh, he's a fellow Englishman who fell in love with an Irish girl. Um, Dave Pavey, he's the, the children's pastor at Causeway Coast Vineyard Church, where Chantelle is this morning, by the way, she sends her love to you. Uh, Dave's a real hero of mine. And I say that really sincerely. Like he, uh, he's your kind of, he would say this about himself, so I'm not being derogatory, but he's, he's kind of your... Mr. Average. He's just steady Eddie. He's just, you know, just what you see is what you get. He is one of the most incredible people, so incredibly faithful. And he really, really loves Jesus. You spend any time around Dave, it just rubs off on you. And it's what I said last week. His 
infectious love for Jesus. I spend just a bit of time with Dave. He picks me back up again. And we run side to side. And he, he encourages me, spurs me on towards faith and towards love for him and love for his church and love for his people. These are just three examples, friends, that I have been so fortunate and so blessed to have in my life. These are friends that I carve out time and are specific to be intentional about friendship. And we have ran together, journeyed together, laughed together, sought the face of God together, and we've battled together. I want to shift gears slightly. That's a, that's a, that's a side-to-side friendship. I want to talk in a moment about face-to-face friendship and what that looks like as well. But before we do that, I want to kind of shift gears slightly and, and just sort of share. These are just observations from my life so far. And it's not based on research, and they're just opinions. Uh, it might ruffle some of your feathers as I share these things. I've got your attention now, which is wonderful. So it's just what I've noticed. So we, we pay attention to children, we weans. And, and, and that's where friendship begins, doesn't it? We learn friendship. We, you know, they're there in rockets, they're there in gems, they're in school, playground, whatever, whatever it is. And that's where we begin to learn friendships. We, we learn how to share the toys, and we learn that actually pushing and shoving someone probably isn't great, and there's probably going to be a consequence to that. And we learn how to say sorry, even though sometimes we're forced to say it, and we don't really want to say it, and all that. But we kind of learn those things as children. Then we get to bigger children and young people, and we, we begin to... Um, cultivate what friendships really are and we begin to entrust our lives with each other and then as time goes on we learn who we can trust with our honest things and those that we can't when they tell the whole class or post it on social media or whatever it might be we begin to learn the kind of people that we want to spend uh, our time with and then we become young adults and it's really, this was my experience, and I'm noticing it, and this is why I'm just saying it. I'm noticing it with our, our two bigger boys, with Sam and Owen, that as, as they become young adults, begin to cultivate this deeper, uh, more, way more intentional friendship. And it kind of moves beyond the facade, a bit like what I shared, the, the chairlift story. We begin to not only just have a bit of a laugh with, and, but we actually begin to let our guard down and let our friends in on our private inner world. And I'm noticing that uh, with my boys, and they're beginning to find that with really godly other fellas, really, in their lives that they're surrounding their time and energy with. And then what I notice is if this is how life takes us, if a person then enters into a romantic relationship, that's when friendships begin to change. And they begin to change because of time. We begin to spend more time with that person that we've uh, fallen in love with because we have to prioritize that and that's important. But then we have less time to actually spend with um, our actual friends that we have. And that becomes a source of tension and a bit of a balancing act, really. And then, again, if the life cycle continues in this trajectory, and I know it's not like this for everybody, but if you uh, get married and then little ones come on the scene, that's when it becomes really trying from a friendship point of view. Enter world, little one, screaming, crying, 
pooing, weeing, feeding, up at the crack of dawn. You're up at the crack of dawn. You're fit for nothing. You're not fit for friendship. You're not, you just want your bed. And it's that kind of that time of life. And I have noticed, so this is an observation. Don't shoot me if I'm wrong. I have noticed that from that time on in our years, that's when friendships in our lives begin to take a hit. And I have noticed that especially when we kind of get into sort of middle age and then beyond, if we have not prioritized friendship, that's when we become most isolated. And my encouragement, if that, if any of what I've said, if there's any reality or truth in that, is that we would pay attention to that and that we would do the very best that we can to prioritize friendship. I've said this time and time again. There, there are times when, with Chantelle and I, when I know that she needs out. I know that she needs to have her fun friendship tank just filled a bit. And I'm like, I will prioritize everything so you can go and do that. And she likewise for me. And that's so, so important that between us that we, that we do the very best that we can to free each other up. Now, I realize that that's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And uh, so I want to just briefly just m mention uh, those of you who are single. Uh, because um, I also think as well, uh, just hit pause slightly, I think sometimes in church life we can elevate marriage to, to a place where actually it's to the detriment of singles. And we want to say that's absolutely not true that actually whatever we find ourselves in, uh, that God, that's, 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 that's God's best. And that's, that's what he has and, and, and all the rest and to, uh, to be okay in that. And we don't want to elevate one above the other. But we do want to be mindful. We want to love and create space and honor those who are single and saying that actually you have possibly uh, more time for friendship. I did a bit of research in this, by the way. They were assumptions that I had, but I did speak to some singles, so it's not just my observations and assumptions. You have more time for friendship and more capacity for that. Sometimes it can be difficult to build deep and meaningful Christian peer friendships. And sometimes, actually, you can end up either losing a friendship or losing the depth of that friendship if one of your friends enters into a relationship because they begin to pull back as well. And so there's tension in that. I am merely just trying to acknowledge um, some of the things that we notice, I guess. Second posture, face-to-face -face friendships. After the Israelites have defeated the Amalekites, Moses is reunited with his wife and two sons and father-in-law, Jethro, in the place of Midian. And uh, into that place, Exodus chapter 18, um, Moses has his hands full. He has a lot of disgruntled people, the Israelites coming to him with all their problems. And it all rests on Moses' shoulders. So we read from Exodus 18. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. They stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me and seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties, inform them of God's decrees and instructions. 
Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. May God be with you. As we look here at Moses' interaction with his father-in-law, Jethro, want to just pour, uh, pull out a couple of things, what we can learn about a face-to-face uh, friendship. Jethro was priest of Midian. He was one of Abraham's children, and he was Moses' father-in-law. Uh, Moses, obviously, marrying his daughter. And uh, in this passage, we, we read that Moses is being burdened by the people. He's spending from morning till evening trying to reconcile people's disputes among them. And Jethro goes to him face to face. He says, Moses, what you are doing is not good. You will wear yourself out. The work is too heavy. You can't do this alone. And he gives him some advice. So what do we learn about a face-to-face friend? It's someone who looks you in the eye and lovingly tells you the truth. Proverbs 27, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. From the Passion Translation, it says, you can trust a friend who wounds you with his honesty. So what does it look like? What does it mean? It's someone who's prepared to have the face-to-face with you that can honestly say in the right way, and there's some real skill in having that conversation by going to the person and telling telling them the truth. It's someone who not only points out your faults or your failings or your whatevers, but it's also someone who validates you and loves you and spurs you on and calls out the gold in you and champions you to be all that God has for you. And I would just say in that one, in that face-to-face friendship, it's being prepared to listen. It's being prepared to, with humility, receive what these kind of friends might say. I mentioned to you last week a, a good friend of mine, Jasper. He is that face-to-face friendship that I have. We have a deep friendship, a lot of fun together, a lot of history together. But he's someone that I, I care deeply about, and I know he cares deeply about me. We have had some very, very honest conversations over the years. He's someone I would confide in. He is someone I have confessed my sin to. He is someone who I share when I'm struggling with anxiety and all kinds of uh, diff- different things going on in my life. And he's someone who reassures me, who, um, who listens and, 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 and holds the mirror to me and says, this is what's really going on, mate. Pick yourself up, go again, and I am with you. He has my best interest at heart, and I entrust myself to him and to others as well in this way. I guess, um, not to go loads about it, but um, we've mentioned, haven't we, the last couple of weeks or so, just about other leaders, leaders that have been really significant in my life. And, 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 and in response to that, it's really made me think a lot. And uh, I've said to Jasper and to one or two others, I said, listen, 
You see, when I, you see when you see me acting a complete, you can fill in the gap. You need to tell me. And I'm telling you, you need to tell me. And I think that's a really healthy place to be in. But we need to, we need to do that ourselves. We need to say with our friends, hey, you, you see when I'm being hard on myself? Or you see when I'm acting whatever? I am. T- please tell me. Please show me. Because very often, folks, we don't see it ourselves, do we? We have our own blind spots. We have our shadow side. We could use all kinds of language. But I'm so grateful to people in my life who have lovingly come to me as a friend, face to face, and, and shared those things with me. Folks, friendships in this church are to be made. And I really think, actually, there's... Some of you, you're going to make friends with each other and they're going to be great. God's set it up for you. He's ordained it. And there's, there, look around. There, there's some incredible people in this church. And, and, and he has friendship for you. Who's going to make the first move? Who's going to say, hey, let's go for coffee or let's... Some of you lads who I meet up with, we go for a walk. Sometimes we have coffee together, and that's great, but sometimes we go for a walk. A couple of reasons. It's good exercise, and we all need exercise. And secondly, we don't have to look at each other. <laughs> well, it's difficult to look at your faces, to be honest, some of you. <laughs> and I just think, it goes back, doesn't it, in the beginning? We're side by side going up that mountain. Something awkward, isn't it? You don't want to look, especially when we're talking about that stuff. I know we've talked about face-to-face. We can have that face-to-face conversation side by side. There's some friendships here in this church to be made. Who's going to make the first move? For some of us, and I'm going to end with this, it begins by being vulnerable. Vulnerability is the pathway to connection. It lets people in. And as we're vulnerable ourselves, it gives people permission to be vulnerable yourself as well. I want to end with a Brené Brown quote. Some of you women are like, oh, we like a bit of Brené. Come on. She's our hero. Some of us men are like, especially if you're married to a woman who loves Brené Brown, you're like, oh, not a Brené Brown quote. She's told me loads of her quotes. Sick of hearing about her but we actually know that what she says is true and we don't kind of like it, lads, do we, some of us? We're like, ooh. So here's the quote, and then we'll pray. In fact, we'll worship, then we'll pray. Brené says this, Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose, or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. It's up to us. Will we choose that? Will we entrust ourselves to another?